Romans 13, beginning in verse 8. Owe no man or owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The text before us is one in which is vital to us as a church as far as how it is that we are to live. It's incredibly practical for us as a church, individually. We see that he begins by saying, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. You think of who he's writing to. And he's there writing to those in the church in Rome. Um, the, the church in Rome would have been made up of People from different backgrounds. Many of them would have been Jews. But many of them would have been Gentiles. And it would have been made up of slaves and slave masters. Rich people and poor people. Men and and women. All of which had reasons to have incredible Hatred for one another. Writing to a group of people that just are so different. We, we, we live in, in somewhat of a, a melting pot here in, in Southern California, don't we? Um, it, it, we live in a place where, for, for me growing up, being half Japanese, um, I didn't feel different. I, there, was, there was a lot of other Asians in, in my school growing up, and... and uh, there's many here in, in this room, and, and I just felt normal, like it was just normal. One of my cousins went to school in, in Boston and uh, for college, and she also is half Japanese, grew up in Michigan, and she said there was only two Asian girls in the whole university. Um, seems hard to believe, doesn't it? And and she said that, that the student body would say, like, to you know, like, is it hard to be here where you, you don't have Japanese food all the time, you know? And it's just like, I grew up in Detroit. Like, what are you talking about? I've never been to Japan, you know? And, and, but for them, it, it was just so different being in a place where, where that was the case. I, I went to, to North Carolina to visit one of Tasha's brothers and, and his wife. And I was telling her, like, this is like, the friendliest place I've ever been. Like, people just see me, they wave, you know, and, and, and they're just, you know, they're so friendly. And um, I realized that, you know, it, it was because they, they, like, saw an Asian person. You start looking around and there was just none. <laughs> Went to Andy and Heidi's wedding there in North Carolina and, and uh, um, Andy and Heidi Guastafaro, and 
I was sitting there. I had never met Heidi before. And she walked down the aisle after getting married. And she was just like, Kevin, it's so good to have you here. And I was like, how does she know who I am? (laughs) I started looking around just going like, oh. (laughs) She wrote an invitation for Otsuji. And that's how she knows who I am. And so there's different places even in our country where, where racism would, would, not that she was a racist, but like where, <laughs> where there's left, there, there's, there's, there's much less diversity, let's just say. But, but we live in an area where there's a lot of diversity. Um, in this particular church that Paul's writing to, it would have been people that grew up Gentiles, um, those that grew up Jews. They're hearing the gospel. They're, they're hearing the gospel and they're, they're seeing that they all came from Adam. All of them had sinned. Paul goes through and just lays out in detail our sinful nature that came from Adam. And takes it down to where you just look and you see all of these things were pointing towards Christ. And just as the Jew is saved through Christ, the Messiah, who was promised in the Old Testament, the Messiah who was to come. Likewise, the Jews or the Gentiles are saved in the exact same way in that they are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And you look and there's this unity that is there within the church coming together. You, you see that there's still a problem that's there because he, he even makes mention that, hey, the Gentiles, they are sending a gift to the Jews that are there in Jerusalem. Just wanting them to know, like, this is coming from them to you. Wanting to show that there's just love that is there for one another. They were dealing with the Judaizers and what was taking place with circumcision historically and just them saying, you, you must be circumcised first and then you could become a, a Christian. And, and Paul just saying, like, no, absolutely not. That's not biblical. And going through and, and, and bringing them to a place once again as we've gone through the book of Romans to see that you're saved by faith alone. All of us, whether Jew or Gentile, need to be saved by faith in Christ alone. But he's writing them to tell them, oh, no one anything except to love one another. Your relationship is to be one in which you you love one another. There's a debt that can never be paid in full. And that is a debt that we have towards one another, and that is to love each other. There'll never come a point where it's just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm done. I don't need to love them anymore. We are always to do that towards one another. Not just towards us here within the church, but to those who are outside the church as well. We're to be people who love one another. Heartfelt love for one another. And even though we are a church in which there is a lot of diversity and you don't have the Jew-Gentile adversity that maybe they would have experienced here in Rome... We still have the tendency to, to want to separate ourselves. It's something for us as a church. I pray that we would fight so hard against. 
The, the thoughts that go through our minds as far as, well, I don't have anything in common with them. I don't have anything in common with them. They're, they're older than I am. They're married. Um, they have kids. They, they have a lot more money than we do. They've been educated in a different way than we are. We, we live in different places. We, we have nothing in common with them. We, we've had people that have left our church in the past, and um, in talking with them upon leaving, they had said things like, like we, we just want to go find someplace, you know. I mean, honestly, like one of them just in tears, but just saying like, my wife just, she wants to find someplace where she has friends, where she has people that are in the exact same place that she is at and that she is able to just relate to. And I look and I, I think that, that there's, something, there's something wrong with that. To, to be a, a church congregation, to be a place where there, there may not be someone that is exactly like you or is in the exact same place that you are at or thinks exactly the same way that you think or is in the exact same age group and all of the things that are there that tend to cause division between us and to be able to look and say, we, we once were dead, but we've been made alive in Christ. We once were lost, but now we've been found. We, we once did not have the Holy Spirit, but now the Holy Spirit resides within us. We, we once were not a people, but now we are the people of God. We have been regenerated by him. We've been made clean by him. All of our sins have been removed from us, and it's been replaced with the righteousness of God. We once were a part of this world, but now we're pilgrims. We're sojourners. We're, we're different than the people who are outside because we've been saved through Christ. And this bond of unity that comes there within us, that makes it so that, that, that there's nothing that would separate that. That we wouldn't look around a congregation like this and say, I wonder who I have anything in common with. But that we'd look and say, there is just this unity that is here because of Christ and what he has accomplished for us. One of the most joyful things that I've ever seen as, as the pastor here at this church is was the way in which the church responded to, to Earl Milligan when he was in the hospital and when he passed away. Um, was, if I remember right, he was, he was 94 and um, couldn't see. He, he would come to, to church and just his, his head would spin and, and just he, he was in, in so much pain. But he would be here, and he would be here weekly. It mattered so much to him to be here. And when, when we were at the, the hospital there up at Kaiser and Irvine, um, I, I spent quite a bit of time there, and I, I just watched people come through. I, I watched people who... There was one day that we were there, and, and there was just, I don't know, 20-some people many of them that were young, young adults or teenagers, um, others who were older, and they were just praying with him and singing to him, just singing. 
reading scripture. Yeah, I, I, I saw Nida Pobletti just taking, just rubbing his feet with oil and just praying for him and just loving him and trying to make him just feel more comfortable. And it was family after family, person after person, individual after individual, young people, old people, they were all coming together and just loving on this man. And as I watched it take place, it was neat because Pastor Jim Milligan said that, that the doctor said to him, you know, like, for all practical purposes, Jim didn't believe that the doctor was a, a believer. But they were singing worship and reading scripture and the doctor's there and the doctor just says, when I go, I want it to look just like this. This is radical. The love of Christ that doesn't look and say, well, he's blind, I'm not. He's 94, I'm a 20-year-old. He's, you know, he's got children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. He's he's in a totally different place than I'm at. But just watching people just love him. And that mentality that ought to be there with us to be able to look around and see that we truly are one body. Um, we, We have men's ministry and women's ministry and young adult ministry and youth ministry. We, we have different ministries that take place within the church. But w- what we do frequently is, is I'm spending time with those that are leading the different ministries is, you know, fight hard within the young adults ministry. Fight hard not to be the young adults ministry and this is who we identify with. And fight hard to be a part of the whole church. Fight hard to get to know people who are older. Spend time with people who are married. Spend time with people who have families. Spend time with them. Let older people minister to younger people. Make it so that you're just learning from their wisdom. Don't be afraid, people who are our grandparents here, to invite a young person over and say, yeah, I'm just coming over for dinner. And not thinking, well, this is weird. But just looking and saying, like, we're the body of Christ. We belong to one another. God has saved me, and he has done this work in my heart, and he has taught me through his word, and I can spend time with others and love them and, and care for them. And not looking at it as far as, well, we're just so different. But the unity that is there through the blood of Christ. It's awesome when you begin to think about the fact that we will all spend eternity together. We look here and we see Paul saying, oh, no one anything except to love one another. It's a debt that that you'll never be able to pay in its entirety. You could pay it, and then the next morning it is still there. We're still called to love one another. We're still called to love one another over and over and over again, even when it seems like, well, this person is more difficult to love than this person is. Um, You you hear people say things like, well, I'm, I'm done with them. I'm just done. I don't care if I ever see them again. I'll never talk to them ever again. And, and you look and, and God would say, no. You have a debt, and that is to love them. I mean, to love people who are only those who are lovable, God just says, like, 
The world does that. It's easy to love someone that's just incredibly lovable. But to love those that are less lovable, the ones that say the wrong things, the the ones that have, have sinned against you, to still love them, it's a debt that never gets paid in full. You hear Jesus say in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. To love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you love, have love for one another. The new commandment I give to you, love one another. How is that supposed to look? As I have loved you. It's just incredible to begin to think about. Love each other as I have loved you. And and so we start to look at that. What does that look like? We see Christ's love for us where it's it's sacrificial. It's it's not a love that's like, okay, well, I'll send a thank you card. (laughs) Although that would be nice and that would be a blessing. But it's a love that's that's sacrificial. We see that Christ's love for us is such that it says, while we are still enemies, Christ loved us. He died for us. While we are still enemies, Romans 5, 8, we are still enemies. We still were not in a place where we were just desiring him and longing for him and desiring to please him. We were enemies, and yet he loved us. And to be able to look at that and say, okay, this is how I'm called to love those who are around me, and not just within the church, those who are on the outside as well, those who are unbelievers, but especially of the household of faith, especially within the church. God's love's unconditional. It's not based upon our loveliness. He doesn't love us in a way, well, okay, well, you've earned it. You finally have earned my trust, you finally have earned my love, and I'll take the walls down and now I'll love you. His love for us is just absolutely unconditional. And God says, love that way. Love like that. The quality of God's love, the verse that's familiar to all of us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He so loved the world, so loved the world that he gave us his son. We look upon the cross and we can see the love of Christ in just the most incredible way. Love as I have loved you. And then you just, you you see Christ there upon the cross and you see them just mocking him They pull out his beard, slam the crown of thorns upon his head through that crucifixion process, mocking him, saying things like, he saved others and can't save himself. And then you just see, you see Christ there on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I mean, just loving them and We see the weight of it, I mean, as far as our sin placed upon him so that we would not have to bear it anymore.
the love of Christ. We see Christ humbly washing the disciples' feet, serving them in love, and saying, go and do likewise. It was sweet when we were in South Sudan, Charity and Cindy, who served as missionaries in, in Niambali, South Sudan, for, for years and years. Um, they had their team that was there, and um, they, they just, they, they, they took them one by one, and, it, you know, it's, it's dirty there, there's no paved streets, it's all just dirt, and they just took them into this little tukul, this little hut, and one by one, they would just take them, and they just washed their feet, and just prayed for them. Just prayed for their needs, washed their feet, down on their hands and knees, just loving them. It was just such an incredible picture of, of serving one another. How do we serve each other? How do we humbly show that kind of love? You see Christ where he's just there. You know, it's, it's not an ego that's involved as far as, well, I'm kind of here and they're down there and I'm not going to get down on my hands and knees. I mean, do they know who I am? You see the example of Christ where he just gets down and just washes his feet, washes the disciples' feet. This picture of love, the way that he has loved us. God's love for us never fails. It never ends. We read in, in, in Romans 8.35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? It goes on in, in, in verse 38 and says, For I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we just see his love. There's nothing whatsoever that could ever separate us from his love. And then God says, Love one another as I have loved you. And so when we look and we say, Well, okay, but... You don't know what this person did. They've done this, 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 and this. I've tried to love them, but they've just done this, and they continue to do this. And What am I supposed to do? I mean, I, I think I've given them enough chances. And then we go right back to Scripture, and God just says, no. Love them the way that I have loved you. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. You look and you think of the law that's there. All that is written in scripture regarding the law. And and God says loving one another is fulfilling the law. You heard, you remember when Jesus said in, in, um, In Matthew 22, he's asked, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And loving your neighbor as yourself. On those two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I read this week from Luther, Martin Luther's small catechism, and he wrote this in 1529 to train up children, and, and there's a whole section on there on the Ten Commandments in which the kids were to memorize. And so it would go through the, 
the Ten Commandments. And he says here, as the head of the family, um, you should teach them in a simple way. This should be taught in a simple way to your household. The first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods. And then he says, what does this mean? Answer, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Now it just goes through and, 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 and goes through every one of the commandments. But what I found that was interesting was that in each one of the commandments, as he goes through, in each one of the answers, it begins, they begin with, we should fear and love God. Like, for example, the second commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And the, what does this mean? Answer, that we should fear and love God, that we may not curse, swear, use witchcraft, lie, or deceive, or deceive by his name, but call upon it in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. In every one of them, we should fear and love God that we might not do this. And it's interesting because in every commandment, in all of the law, he goes through and says, okay, what does it say? You shall have no other gods before me. So what should that mean? We should fear and love God and trust him so that we don't do all of these things. And the thing that I think is interesting about it is it, it speaks to the, the main heart of the issue. When you look at all of the law in general, when you look at all of what it's saying, how is it that we are to obey the law and, and through Christ enabling? And, and what is the way that we should be thinking in it? And it's always obey God's word that you might love God, that you might fear him. That that should be something that goes through our minds when we think of why should I live this way? Because I love him. Because I love him. I would never want any gods to be above him. I don't want anything to be above him. I want him to be my greatest priority. Loving him, fearing him, having such a reverence for him that you see him that way. Lately, I've um, identified some of the, the, the Christians on the, the, the boys and girls soccer teams at, at Tribuco and, um, and talking with some of them, I've, I've, I've asked them, you know, just, how's, how's your walk with the Lord doing? Where, where are you at, you know? And just listening to their responses that they give. And I've asked some of them, hey, you want to go with a, through a book? Just let me know when you've gone through a chapter and we'll just talk about it some. But I, I, I'm, I'm having them go through the book Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ by John Piper. And, and, and so I go through and I just tell them, like, hey, here's, here's the reason why I want you to go through this. is because... It's because I know that you know that you should obey your parents. You know that, right? Yeah. I know that you should, um, I know that you know that, that you shouldn't get involved with just all the junk of the world, partying, drinking, popularity. Um, I know that you know that soccer and everything else should not become a god to you. It shouldn't become like the main thing, your main priority. Um, I know you know that you should be pure. 
I know you know all of these things, but I just, you need to treasure Christ more than that stuff. I mean, it's one thing to know it. Yeah, yeah, I need to be obedient. Yeah, I need to be pure. I need to. It's another thing to look and just say, like, I, I treasure him above all of that. I treasure him far higher than all of that. There's so many people that look and just they think of God as so pathetically small. They look and they just say, like, okay, yeah, it's Christmas. Remember Jesus. You know, not even coming to a place of he is almighty God who spoke things into existence and he created them by his mighty hand and he is sovereign and he rules the universe and there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground apart from his holy will. That he is a God who saves, who brings light out of darkness to shine in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to us, to bring us to salvation, to take people who are dead spiritually, going in a direction of eternity and hell, and making us alive, making us adopted sons and daughters into his family, making us the bride of Christ, changing us so radically that that there is nothing the same about us and that he molds us into his image and he does us. He saves us from wrath to come and gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and that this God draws us by his Holy Spirit and there's no one that can stop him. There's no one that can say, what are you doing? He is a God who determines all things. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and he does these things, and he's glorious that when people see him, they fall down as dead men. He's a God that is like that, that shines in his brilliance to where there will be no need of the sun for all eternity, because he will shine there in his glory and his brilliance. And we just, you, you look and you think, and he became a man. He became a man tempted in all things yet without sin. This is what he has done. This is the way in which he has died for us. And I think there's a lot of people that have a very small view of him. When you start to go through and you look and see who he is, you treasure him above all things to where you start going through the commandments. You shall honor your father and mother. What does this mean? That we should fear and love God that we may not despise nor anger our parents and masters but give them honor, serve, obey, and hold them in love and esteem. That, that when it comes to, to honoring your father or mother, that it just goes from there to, I need to love and fear God in such a way that I do not want to talk like that to my parents. I need to have such a view of God that I don't do that. Thou shalt not kill. What does this mean? That we should fear and love God, that we may not hurt nor harm our neighbor in his body, but help and befriend him in every bodily need, in every need and danger of life and body. That's how we should be because we fear and we love God that way. This is radical when you begin to go through and you, you see God a certain way. You love him in such a way. There's reverence for him. There's fear towards him to where he's not a puny small God that, that you just manipulate and control. But he is the sovereign king of this universe to where you fear him and love him to where you want to obey the law. You want to please him. 
And so it says here, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Verse 9, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. And if there's any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You take all of the commandments towards one another. And our fear and love for God and our love for our neighbor changes to where it's, I'm, I don't want to commit adultery. I don't, I don't want to murder. I don't want to even talk that way about that person. Because I love them. I don't want to steal from them. I don't want to take that and not give it back. I don't want to lie, bear false witness. I don't want to covet their job or covet their house or covet their car or covet their kids or covet whatever it is that is there to covet. I don't want to do that. I love them. I'm so happy for them. And you go through and you look at it, and it changes the way that we're called to love each other. We're not going to do these things if there is a genuine love for one another. The world is not capable of this. But we are, because God places that love within our hearts. I, I tried to find some illustrations dealing with this, and I, I saw so many that I... And I think that, that you've seen it too, where, like for example, there was an 86-year-old man in Detroit that had his car um, carjacked, and they, they have it on video, and they push him to the ground, and he breaks his leg, and he, they take off in his car, and he, he's like laying there for a while, and then he just starts crawling towards the, the place where you pay for the gas, and he's just pulling himself, 87 years old, and you watch it on video to where there's just like person after person just walking right past him. And he's like, how, how did, if someone's crawling, clearly they need help. And he said he asked the lady to open the door for him, and she looked at him like, I don't think I'm going to do that, and finally decided that she was going to. I, I, I looked in, and saw things just recently of I think it was 93 girls that were just sexually abused on a train in India and nobody did anything about it. And you look at it and you see that we're just people just pass by. They just pass by. It's none of my business. It's none of my business. I'm just going to go and, and I don't, I don't want to stop. I don't want to help there. And for us as Christians, we can't think like that. There's a change that takes place in our mind. It's just, I want to help. I've shared the story with with you before, but there was a little girl in South Sudan who she had fallen into the fire, and this was years and years ago. But I saw her, and her fingers they, they were they were gigantic. They were probably an inch and a half in diameter each one of them, and they they looked like just hamburger meat. Um, they were covered with flies. There was black that was all around them, and they were just so infected. And I. I 
I told her, like, we have to wash your hands. We've got to clean your hands. We have to do this every day. And at first, there was a, a, a lady that was there that helped me wash her hands the first time. And it was just the saddest thing. I mean, she, I asked, like, she was just weeping and crying. And she threw back her head, and her head was all bleeding down. And I'm like, what is she saying? And, and she said, she's just saying, let me die. Please let me die. Don't do this. Please let me die. And, and so that lady left, and she came back, and... It was me and my buddy Jim that were there, and we, we had no medical background. He was a pool guy. I was a pastor and soccer guy. Like the, we're like, we're the best you got, you know? Like, so you need to come every day. And um, We gave her a blow pop the first day, and we gave her some clothes, and she had never had candy before, so she came back every day. I know she came back only for the blow pop. I told her, if you come back, I'll give you a blow pop. <laughs> you know, I'll give you this. And so she came back every day. And, and, but I, washing her hands... I, all I kept thinking is do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. What would you want? You know, I'm like, okay, like soak them in water first. Soak them in some kind of something. There was the antiseptic stuff that we soaked them in just to make it so the bandages got a little bit moist so they could come off easier. And I would go to take it off, and she'd go, and I'd be like, okay, 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 we'll stop. You know, and just every day for weeks and weeks and weeks till her hands were totally healed except for one tiny spot on one of her fingers by the time we left. Natalie, my little three-year-old, had stitches in her eye, and they left two stitches in on accident because it was they couldn't see them. And I saw them, and I told her last night, "I'm going to take out these stitches." And she just started bawling. No, you know. And I know she's like, "You have no idea what you're doing. Like you should not be doing this." And I'm like, "You're right, but I'm going to." And so, but just the whole time of like, okay. It took us like a half hour to do it because I said, okay, if, if you say stop, I'll stop. If it hurts at all, I'll stop. So I'd get close and she'd say, stop. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I didn't even touch it yet, you know. And so we went through this last night for, for half an hour. But I'm looking at her just thinking, okay, well, what if my dad was like that and he wanted to help me? Like, I would want to be able to say stop because this guy has no idea what he's doing. But just that mentality of looking and just saying, I want to love them the same way that I would want to be loved. You see people who are in need, we want to love them. We want to care for them like that. And you fulfill all of the commandments. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And loving your neighbor as yourself the same way that you would want to be loved. The same way that you would want to be cared for. You've seen in, in the prayer chain, if you're on the prayer chain, if you're not, you should be on it, but just praying for a, a man who's in surgery and, and, and his name's Ted and, and had his, a huge part of his intestines removed and he has a fever now and, and, and they're fighting the affection and he's got a 10-year-old son and a wife and I just look and I, I see that and I just think, okay, I want to pray for him in the same way that I'd want someone praying for me. If that was me, and I had a 10-year-old, and I had a wife, and I, and I had a fever, and the doctors didn't think that I was going to make it, how badly would I want someone praying for me? We are to pray for one another in the same way that we would want someone to pray for us. We're to love each other and care for us each other in such a way. You hear Jesus say, they'll know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. They'll know. They'll, they'll look at Reverence Bible Church and look and say, 
They're different. Oh, how they love each other. Well, how they love others that are outside. It's sacrificial. It's different than any other kind of love that we've ever seen. It's just different. They, they're willing to go in directions that some people would never do. They're just different. I have a friend who, who I've done a lot of soccer with for a long time and, and just talking with him. And one day he just began to list. He's an unbeliever and he just began to list people. He said, these are the, these are the coolest people that I have ever known. I don't know who I think are just the neatest people I've ever met. He started to list people that both of us knew. And I just I said, do you, do you know, like, every person that you mention is just a committed Christian? Do you, do you, do you know that, I mean, they, these are all people who are Christians. There is a reason why they are different. And to have that within us to where it's not coming from us and it's not manufactured in ourselves, but it's praying, God, help me to love the way that you have loved me. Help me to love that way. Help me to see someone who comes to the church that is elderly or that is a teenager that has so many things that are so different from me and yet we just love them. We see people and we see people and the thought that goes through our minds is how do I share the love of Christ with that person? Oh, what an amazing thing if that's the way that we thought here as a church. We meet a stranger and or we meet someone that we haven't seen for a while. We come before people and we just have the thought, how do I share the love of Christ with this person. And then to start processing, what does that love look like? We see in verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. We see here, Christ calling us to not only not do harm, but also to love the same way that we would want to be loved. And then to go from there to even love as Christ loves us. You hear, you hear Jesus say in Matthew 25, verse 35, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when, when, did you, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and, and say unto them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. What a way for us to think, brothers and sisters. What if it was Christ? How would we treat him? And that same way is the way that we are to treat others. When we were in South Sudan, we came upon a place where it was where we had done immunizations and all kinds of stuff in the 90s. And, and I said, what is it being used for now? And they said, it's, it's a courthouse. And I said, where's the jail? And they said, it's just right over there. Can we visit it? Yeah, and so we went there, and all of these prisoners there, and just, just, what was it, like a month ago, preached the gospel to these guys that are there in a prison in which none of us would ever want to be in. 
there in shackles or there just, I think, waiting for others to bring them food. And we, and we just were there and hearing people that were on the team share the gospel, pray with them, love them. And just think, okay, if I were in this prison, how badly would I want someone to come and proclaim the good news of the gospel to me to give me hope and to change my life for all eternity? As much as we would want it, it's the same degree that we should desire that for others. I'll close with this in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection or unity. So, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, um, towards one another, and as we're here in this world, put, put on tender mercies to each other. Kindness. Humility. None of us are better than others. We're, we're all sinners in desperate need of grace. We all got saved the same way. Um, meekness long-suffering, maybe be patient with one another, maybe bear with one another and forgive one another. If anybody here has a complaint against another, um, even as Christ forgave you, so you also, you also must do. You also must do. But above all things, let's put on love. Fulfilling all of the law, it is the bond of unity that we need as a church. And may the Lord just use us in just incredible ways as he produces that within us. And I just pray that that is who we would be as a church and that there would be a difference in us. Um, And we would account it all to the grace of God. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our text that we had this morning. You call us to to love one another. A debt that we owe to one another and a debt that will never be paid in full. You've demonstrated the great love that you have shown towards us and you call us to love in the same way. May our knowledge of you and the gospel, may our knowledge of the fact that you've paid for all of our sins and given us all of your righteousness through faith in Christ and his work upon the cross. May the knowledge that you have fulfilled all of the law for us make us desire just to obey your word and delight in your word and love one another and pour ourselves in sacrificially just to care for others. May that just mark us that people would look upon us and they would know, they would know that we are your disciples because of our love for one another. Um, We ask you to produce that in the hearts of the saints at Reverence Bible Church. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.